Please keep your Bibles open to this passage. We will study through the verses together. Looking for the Spirit to make application to our hearts and our lives. As we know, the Word of God is alive. And in Thessalonians, it says, It is at work in you who believe. So, as God's people gathering around His precious Word today, know that the Spirit will be working in our hearts and teaching us, equipping us, challenging us, building us exactly where we need His help today. So let's pause for a minute and thank Him for that help and ask for it together. Lord, we do count this a precious, precious opportunity to be sitting here together around your word, the opportunity to declare praises to you through song, to be able to petition your throne of grace and ask for mercy and grace and daily bread, to be able to open up the very written revelation of God, the very eternal truth that you have given us, words of life and salvation. Everything we need to know, Father, you have revealed to us, everything we need for salvation and for life. And one of the blessed things that you have given us to be able to walk through this life following Christ and not dominated and overcome by the world and, and by our own sinful inclinations is the great gift of prayer. And we see that modeled in a tremendous fashion as Jesus faces his deepest, darkest trial. So there's so much here for us today, Lord. And we confess, God, that throughout the week, just living in this world, we, we get cluttered and we get uh, we, we allow the, the world to attach itself to us and our minds get occupied and our hearts get filled with other things. And one of the very important parts of Sunday morning gatherings is the, is the chance to declutter and, and detach from the things that are distracting us and, and turning us from finding our true source and joy in you. So to reorient our hearts and renew our perspective and refresh our faith is, a, is invaluable. So we come before you, Lord, because we need you today. We, we need to hear you speak, and, and we, need, we need your truth to absolutely saturate our souls today. That we might be strengthened, Lord, in our walk with you, that our, that our affections might be deepened, Lord, for Christ and for the gospel and for those around us who are still wandering aimlessly in sin, separated from you. That the gospel might be so vibrant in us, Lord, that they would be compelled to ask us for the reason, for the hope that's within us. So once again, Lord, through your precious word, direct our eyes to the things that are eternal the things that matter the most. Accomplish your will today, Father, in each and every heart, beginning with mine, Lord. 
and we're going to give you the praise and the glory for how you build your church. In Christ's name, amen. So the title of the message uh, today is From One Garden to Another. The first garden that we find in scriptures way back in, in Genesis 2, God created God created man and he placed him in a garden called Eden. And he instructed him, he instructed Adam to work it and keep it. So gardening, Martin, gardening was the first occupation. Work and keep the garden. And God created woman so that man would not be alone but would have a companion and as husband and wife they would join in God's creative work through procreation and multiply and absolutely fill the earth as it has happened so God created something of a paradise on earth and he gave Adam a fulfilling job At that time, there, there were no thorns, uh, there, 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 there was no hardship, it was just pure delight. And he brought to Adam a delightful, lifelong companion in Eve, instituting true marriage. And in that sacred union between husband and wife, he then established the family. So much happens in Genesis 1 and 2. So, when, we, when you read through Genesis 1 and 2, you see that in the very beginning, there was this, this absolutely perfect place and perfect situation. This, this was the dream place. And Adam and Eve, on top of being in the perfect place with the, the perfect scenario, the, the, the perfect occupation, Adam and Eve enjoyed communion with God. His, his presence was literally there with them and, and they would enjoy so there's there's no greater really physical or spiritual place to be than where we find Adam and Eve in these opening chapters of the Bible everything was as it should be and God called it very good and he gave Adam one command one rule don't eat of the tree in the middle of the garden. Now, you've got all these other trees, hundreds of other trees, luscious trees. Eat as much as you want from all these other trees. Just don't eat from this tree. This is a special tree. I've set this tree aside. It's not to be eaten. It is forbidden for you to eat from this tree. And in the very next chapter, chapter 3. In the very next chapter, Adam disobeyed God. He believed the lie of Satan and therefore forfeited all of this wondrous blessing. He believed the lie of Satan. And sin entered creation. And since then, every human being born from Adam, we've inherited from our first parent this sin nature and, and creation itself because sin is present, is, is marred and, and corrupted. Adam failed in the perfect place 
in the perfect scenario, he failed in the Garden of Eden. Today we see another garden. This is a garden of olive trees and it's called Gethsemane. And we see another man, Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 45, Paul speaks of, of the first Adam and the last Adam. And he's talking about Christ. So whereas Adam disobeyed God's will, Christ perfectly fulfilled the will of the Father. Whereas Adam faced his test in the garden and failed, Christ faced his test in the garden and won. And so that being the case, as, as children of Adam, he brings us, we inherit from our father Adam sin and death. But as followers of Christ, with him as our Lord and Savior, he brings us salvation and life. Indeed, if you recall, one of our treasure verses way back, well, maybe just a little while back, was 1 Corinthians 15.22, which says, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive so it is from one garden to another garden we see the gospel we are sinners because we are of our father adam and like him we too have disobeyed the father each and every one of us but god has sent his son so that we if we are in him if we are in the son then we like him are counted to be righteous before the father because of the son's righteousness so there are several ways we could approach our text today but for this morning i want us to see that when we face temptations when we face trials when we face tests when we face dark days in this life, and we will, and we will face many, it is through Christ and through faith in him and the strength that he provides, we can follow his example and resist following what we, what we are naturally, by default, prone to do to follow our first parent, Adam. So how did Jesus, in facing, in knowing that the cross was just before him, that his passion, his suffering was just before him, how did he face it? The first thing we see is that Jesus turned to prayer. Jesus turned to prayer. He didn't, he didn't turn to, you know, other, other sources. He didn't turn to his, his own uh, strength. He didn't turn to other means. He, he turned to prayer. That's what he sought. That's what he made arrangements for. He took his disciples to this, this place called the garden. It was a place that he, that he could be in private. He could be by himself with the Father. He knew what was soon to come. He, he was going to be betrayed he was going to be falsely accused and humiliated and tortured. Eventually, he would bear the sin of the world upon his shoulders. He knew all of this was coming. He was going to bear the Father's wrath for our sin. He was going to pay the punishment 
He would enter at that time on the cross. Christ would enter the darkest place imaginable so that you and I would never have to enter that place. Although we deserve to do so. It was a literal hell on earth. And Christ would willingly lay down his life to pay for the sins of all who would trust in him. And so dark were those hours that it it seemed to Christ in his humanity, it seemed that he was actually separated from the Father. Sin was so dark and so heavy and so costly. Even the sky, it was such a terrible moment of sin being collected in that one place and being paid for in that one time, even the sky became dark. Even creation stepped away. This is the cup. When when Christ says, if it's possible for this cup to pass from me, that's the cup that he's talking about. The darkest place of not just physical, but spiritual agony. He knew he would drink that cup. It was the greatest test and trial he would face. So what does he do? What does Christ do when he's coming upon his greatest trial? He turns to prayer. He turned to the Father. He sought strength from from communion with God. He he poured out his soul to God. Luke would would describe his anguish in prayer in in these moments to to such a degree that, that his sweat seemed as as great drops of blood his his heart was heavy his heart was broken so so what did he do he turned to prayer when we read of adam's fall in genesis 3 one thing that we find is strangely absent is prayer adam didn't pray adam simply yielded to temptation the, the scripture says that, you know, the, the, the fruit was, was pleasing to the eyes. It, it, it looked delicious. It, it seemed to be, to be scrumptious. It, it, would, it would taste delightful. And, and even more than that, Adam and Eve believed that that false promise from, from Satan himself, that God was actually keeping something from them, that if they, would, if they would just take of this fruit, it was actually better than what God had given them. It was actually more than what God could give them. That's been the lie from the beginning. That's been the temptation of our flesh from within and the world from without. There's something you're missing. There's something God's keeping from you. Don't listen to those commands. Don't listen to that Bible. Don't don't follow Christ. There's something better. There's something more pleasurable for you. That's exactly what Adam and Eve were told. And he didn't pray. Adam didn't pray. He just ate. So the lesson is clear for us, isn't it? So often in in our dark trial, in our heaviness of heart, in our darkness of emotion or thought, during that time when temptation is so enticing and convincing and alluring and when it just feels so right 
We just go along. We just follow through. We just take the fruit and eat it. We just go along Adam's path. But there's another path. There's another path. There's another example. There's another way we can turn to prayer. We can face the darkness in prayer. We can turn our heavy hearts to our Father. We can resist temptation through prayer. You know, so often it's our last. If it is a course of action, it becomes our last course, course of action, right? After we, after we have stubbornly tried to, in our own strength, and our own means, after we've tried to rationalize and, and justify and make excuse and make room and make loopholes in Scripture and make wiggle room and, 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 and try through our own strength and the advice of others and the counsel of others. We've done everything we possibly can do and we discover once and again all of our efforts miserably fail. All of the world's answers to our deepest problems fail. At first they seem fine, at first they seem good, at first it seems pleasurable, but eventually they fail. So let us resolve today, beginning from this, from this podium to, to the last uh, pew in the sanctuary, let us all resolve today to make prayer our first course of action, the first thing we do. When we face temptations, when we face those heavy situations, distressing, discouraging, depressing situations in life, darkness, when we face those things, let us first, let us plan, let us arrange, let us first go to God in prayer. It will not be an empty or vain endeavor. So the first thing is Jesus turned to prayer. Second thing that we see, Jesus drew his close friends closer. Jesus drew his close friends closer. So out of the 12 disciples, Jesus drew Peter and the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, Peter, James, and John close. And he did this on a couple of occasions, signifying that he was drawing them in a little closer than the, other, the rest of the 12. <clears throat> he did this once when he was transfigured on the mountain. Remember that? He goes up to the mountain and the Bible says he's transfigured, which means that, that, that there was a glimpse there of his full deity shining through, his full glory shining through his humanity. So when, he, when his glory, when his deity was, was on display, he brought these three in to see it. Now we see in the garden, it's not his, his, the glory of his deity that's on display, but the, the sorrow of his humanity. At his highest point, you might say, and at his lowest point, he drew his close friends closer. Now this says something first about the compassion and mercy of our Savior that He's still inviting Peter. <laughs> Remember our, our text last week. 
Peter's the one that said, oh, no, if they, if they all fall away, I will never fall away. Peter's the one that said, if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. Before we get out of this chapter, he's going to fall away and he's going to deny him three times. That's Peter. And Jesus still invites him to come a little closer. Knowing Peter would deny him and knowing that Peter had just contradicted him publicly, there's a lesson there for us. Just, just grab it. I'm not going to expound on it, but just grab it. There's a lesson there about the nature of our Savior toward us. And also how we are to relate to others who may fail us. Thank God our Savior's not a one and done, right? Or we'd all be, might as well just stay home this morning. So may he give us the strength to be the same. We all fail the Lord and we all fail each other. And we need some mercy and compassion and forgiveness and reconciliation. Jesus brought in Peter, James, and John. I want us to especially make note that in his time of deep sorrow, when his soul was heavy, the scripture says, you see what Jesus says here? He says, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. This was about as low as you can, can feel, can be. It felt like dying already. Some of you have kind of felt that at times. The human part of Jesus at that time when it was as, as low as it can get for him, at that time, he didn't want to be alone. He drew his close friends closer. Church, God never meant for us to face our, our deep trials and our temptations and, and our weaknesses and our dark days alone. That's why he gave us the local church. That's what so much of this is about. A family of faith, brothers and sisters in Christ. We need each other to shoulder each other's burdens, to, to bear with one another, to pray with one another, to be there for each other. We need one another. And we need to be faithful and trustworthy toward one another. You know where Adam first failed? It wasn't when he bit the apple, let's say. Everybody says it was an apple. Adam first failed not when he bit the apple. It was when he failed to be the spiritual leader of the home, the family that God had given him. And he failed to direct and encourage and, and, and strengthen Eve to come from the delusion and, and the deception of sin. He, he, they, he was there to, to help her rather than join her. He failed as a spiritual leader and, and help and companion. That was his first failure. We desperately need to be those kinds of, of fellow believers for one another because we desperately need one another. In other words, get in between sin and your sister in Christ. Get in between it. Lift up your brother. Go to him. Initiate. Lift up your brother. 
when he is weak, when he is distraught, when he is stumbling, when he is wandering away. We need to hold one another accountable. We, we need to encourage one another, help one another, refresh one another, not beat each other over the head with a Bible. We, we get enough of that everywhere else. We, we need to lock arms with one another and journey together and fight together and run together. Especially in those dark and heavy days. That's why we've done things like for the men have these SEAL teams because we need each other. We need to be praying for one another, studying together. That's why I have a personal accountability partner. I've prayed for one for years. Recently, God gave me one. I'm so thankful for it. A fellow pastor here in town. We meet at least twice a month. He has access to everything I've got. Because we need one another. When we face the test of this life, draw godly friends closer and be that godly friend. Don't push, don't push the family of God away and withdraw. We need one another. Now listen to me. I know some of you get frustrated with church. I know some of you get frustrated with this church. I know some of you are frustrated today with this church. Church is frustrating. Why? Because it's full of sinners. <laughs> and we lose focus. It's so easy to lose focus. Hear me. I, I know it better than you. Sometimes, you know, church is a family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ. And sometimes the organization of it and the business of it and the committees of it and bless their hearts, the three nominating committee leaders now are finding all of that. All of that stuff crowds out what it's all supposed to be. Brothers and sisters in Christ making this journey together for the glory of God to finish the race. That's what it's about. So if there's anything getting in the way of that, let's get rid of it. Amen? Amen. Let's just get rid of all of it if we need to and just lock arms and pray for one another and help one another and encourage and hold accountable and get involved in each other's lives and make our way to glory. You don't have to eat the apple. Jesus drew his close friends closer. Don't give up on the church yet. We, we're imperfect. But we serve a perfect Savior. Third thing we can learn, Jesus prayed for the Father's will. He didn't just pray, right? He prayed for the Father's will. In verse 39, my Father, by the way, he's your Father too if you are in Christ. You can, call, you can call God exactly what Jesus just called him. My Father. My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Can you imagine hearing and seeing Christ pray this prayer before the cross? Can you imagine the Father 
So what do we learn here? Well, prayer is not trying to persuade or convince God to perform our will, is it? And that's what it turns out to be sometimes. God, this is what I really want. If you do this, I'll do that. But rather, prayer is seeking and leaning into the Father's will. Now, having said that, in his humanity, Jesus expressed his human will to God, didn't he? Jesus completely expressed, Jesus was completely honest with God. If it be possible, let it pass. If there's any other way that your children can be saved and redeemed for eternity, let's do that. So he was expressing his human heart, if it be possible. So it's always proper for you to pour out your heart to God. It's always proper for you to let God know exactly how you feel, exactly where you are, exactly what you're thinking, exactly what you want to make your burden known, your petition known, your heart known, to cast your care on the Lord. But Jesus doesn't stop there, does he? That's where we often stop. Jesus goes on beyond what his human nature desired, and he left the answer to the Father's will in humble surrender. Nevertheless, not what, not what I will, but as you will, Father. That's no easy surrender, is it? But here's what Jesus knew that, that we need to know The Father's will may be difficult. The Father's will may be terrifying. The Father's will may be the last thing you want to face in this life on this earth. But somehow, some way, because he is the Father, somehow, some way, it will end to be the best. Hebrews 12.2, listen to this verse, Hebrews 12.2, looking to Jesus. How, how do we find the strength to do all of this? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfect, perfecter of our faith. Listen to this, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And what's the joy? Well, it says, seated at the right hand of the throne of God, the presence of God. Church, we can humbly surrender to God's will for our lives when we know that whatever God brings into our lives, he will use for our good and his glory. God is not out to get you. God is not out to demolish you. God is out to make you a son or a daughter of glory. That's why he has you where he has you right now, even though it might not feel good, seem good, look good. Surrender to his will. And then fourth, Jesus taught the necessity of prayer. In verses 40 and 41, so Jesus finds his disciples sleeping, right? He, he says, watch, watch and pray with me. Now listen, he's just told them, I'm so sorrowful, it feels like I'm dying, He just told his disciples, his three closest friends. By the way, draw your friends closer, but don't depend on them, right? Don't don't depend everything on them. Depend on the Savior. We'll fail each other. Christ never fails. Father never fails. So he finds his disciples sleeping, and and, and he said to, to Peter, 
Could you not watch with me one hour? Now, the you there is actually plural, so he's talking to all three of them, but he's looking at Peter. You know why he's looking at Peter, right? Because Peter just said, oh, if they all fall away, I'll never fall away. He forgot to say, if they all fall asleep, I won't fall asleep. Even if I die, I will not deny you. And Jesus says, could you not stay awake one hour? And and you're not going to. So I think he's pointing to Peter and reminding him of his tremendous weakness, which reminds us, reminds us of ours. But Jesus has just exampled the necessity of prayer, right? My soul is sorrowful even to death. Or what are you going to do, Jesus? I'm going to pray. So he's just in, exampled it, but now he instructs and he tells his disciples, watch and pray. Now listen to me, church. We need to absolutely hang on to every bit of that because Jesus has just told us the key to survive and be victorious against temptation. And before this week is out, every single person in this room is going to be tempted. But not every single person in this room is going to face it watching and praying watch and pray what does that mean that is watch that is stay spiritually alert and pray that's the only way to resist temptation that's the only way to continue to follow christ and not be distracted and not be deterred and and not be led astray and not be not be blinded So be alert. We we need to be aware of our own sinful inclinations. We, We need to be aware of our own wayward passions and our own fleshly weaknesses. We we need to be aware of the pressures around us and the arguments around us and the sayings around us and the sermons around us. The world is preaching a thousand sermons every week and and we're seeing and and hearing every one of them and we need to be alert. We need to be watching and, and praying. That's how we lay aside the sin that so easily besets us. This is the key. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Because you're not going to make it if you, try, if, you, if you try on your own, right? Because the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. If you don't watch and pray, you won't make it. I won't make it. We will be overcome. We will give in. We will give up. We will fall asleep. We will not be alert. We will not watch. But if we watch and pray... The Spirit will renew us and strengthen us, and Christ will carry us through our moment of temptation. And then finally, I want us to see from this passage of Scripture, the fifth point for us to learn today is that Jesus kept praying. He kept praying. He didn't stop with one prayer. You see, this, this, was, this was a dark time. This was a This was a heaviness of heart, a sorrow that felt like dying. So 
He prayed more than one time. He went a second time and essentially prayed the same thing. He went a third time and essentially prayed the same prayer. What was he doing? He just kept praying. He kept praying until he was spiritually ready to face the trial. He kept praying until God answered. He kept praying as long as he was uh, failing, as long as he was weak in, in his humanity. He kept praying. He kept praying. And as he kept praying and kept going back to the Father and kept seeking the Father and praying and and surrendering to the Father, and he was at this point of of sorrowness, even to the point of death, then he comes after constant prayer, then he comes to verse, verse 46, which says, Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Now he's ready for the trial of his life. Sometimes, you know, we can pray once, something can come across us like a decision or a choice or, or whatever it may be, and, and, and we, can, we can pray once, and, and our spirit, we feel, is strengthened, and our faith is renewed, and, and we're ready to move forward. But sometimes the state of the heart and the heaviness and the heat of the trial require fervent, persevering, relentless prayer. Just keep praying. Keep praying, church, until God moves or until God speaks or until God refreshes your heart. Pray on through. That's what Jesus was doing here, wasn't he? He was praying through. Ask and keep asking. Knock and keep knocking. Seek and keep seeking until the answer comes. There is another way. There is another garden. Thank God there's another garden. And there's another Adam. Adam failed in his garden, but Jesus won in his. And because Jesus won, we not only have salvation in him, but he also is our source for all that we need in this life. So we can turn from our trial and look to the Savior. We can turn from our sin and look to the Savior. We can turn from our temptation and our darkness and turn to the Father in prayer. We can watch and pray. Let's go to the Lord together. Father, we look to the Lord Jesus Christ. We look to him for everything. We look to him for forgiveness. We look to him for eternal life. We look to him for being made new. We look to him to one day make us glorified. We look to him for every step. And we look to him for how to pray and when to pray and what to pray. And we see him, Lord, this morning We see him in the garden right before he takes on my sin, our sin, to be the greatest trial of his life. And he prayed, and he kept praying, and he made it. Father, we know it is through, through that example and through the strength and the grace that you provide in Christ. 
Give us what we need to face our troubled days, our tempting days, our dark days in the very same way. Teach us, Father. Train us that the first thing we do is turn to the Father in prayer. Turn to you. And just keep turning to you and keep seeking until the answer comes, until the grace comes, and until the strength comes. Christ won. He won our salvation. He won our eternal redemption. And we can win in him and not let Satan destroy our life. So, Father, help us to look to Christ today and every day. And it's in his precious name we pray. Amen. You have been listening to the sermon ministry of Will Owens, pastor of Grassy Pond Baptist Church, Gaffley, South Carolina. Be sure to visit willowens.com to hear more sermons, read blogs, and learn more about the missions branch, P67 Missions. Again, thank you for listening to Will Owens. You have